Good to have a seat, NBC. Uh, welcome. If you're here for the first time, we're particularly glad you're here. If you're joining us online, uh, welcome. Today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 5, and uh, we're going to be looking at another chapter here from Old School Lessons on God from the Schoolhouse. So I don't know if you were here last week or not. If you were not, kind of the idea we're playing around with over this series is uh, we're taking the opportunity to, to look at school, and as they would do sometimes in Scripture, they would, they would say, so it is with God. Uh, and you can learn a lot about God if you have eyes to see from what goes on in school. And since most of us have been there at some point, or if you're a really little dude and you haven't gone yet, you will at some point. And if you have eyes to see, you can learn a lot about God there. Now, last week we talked about kind of the idea of the first day of school and how God cares about every person that's on the campus so to speak. So if you're a first timer, if you're, uh, well, you know, what's kind of known as a newbie or a freshman or whatever on the, on the campus, so to speak, of the kingdom of God, if you're just checking out Christianity for the first time, those of us who are upperclassmen, those of us who um, are, are more uh, seasoned in the faith have a responsibility and a calling by God to help you learn. And, and this is, today's sermon is on homework, okay? The, the much maligned uh, part of school that everybody seems to not like. Most people, when they get a homework assignment, aren't thrilled that they get that particular assignment, and yet it's an indispensable part of the learning process and helping us grow. In the same way, there are things that we do that allow uh, and assignments, if you will, that God gives us, things he wants us to do that as we complete them, give us uh, the opportunity to grow. God expects every single one of us to grow. God wants us to mature. So um, homework is something that when you're a little guy, you know, they, they start you off really small. They, they give you, a, they give you a, like a little manila folder back in my day, and, and you, they would give you the, the homework assignments in there. A little goldenrod colored sheet on the front. Your parents would initial it and just say, yeah, they've done the homework. They showed me what they were supposed to do. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. You get to middle school and that stuff kind of goes away. There's not as much parental involvement because they're trying to uh, help you accept responsibility for your learning. So it's less about your parents being able to keep you on the right track and it's more about you kind of learning how to handle your own business a little bit. By the time you get to high school, uh, your, your parents might check in on your grades every now and then, but in reality, you're kind of on your own. There's not a lot of, uh, okay, you know, take this home, make, let your parents sign it, and we're going to babysit you through the process. By the time you're in college, you're completely on your own. And the idea is uh, you're responsible for getting out of bed, you're responsible for walking here, you're responsible for every aspect of the learning process. Because if you're old enough to drive a car, you're old enough to go to war, then surely you can show up for class and do your homework. So you would think that that would be easy enough. Well, there are some who have a hard time with that. And the reason is that they get distracted. Social life comes calling. The bed starts calling. Um, doing something else that might be more fun. And so the independence that comes with college doesn't necessarily lead to maturity. In the same way, there are a lot of people, and this is where the writer of Hebrews kind of takes us this morning, is that should be much further along. But instead, they're like 18 or 19-year-olds that are still in fifth grade, spiritually. They haven't grown. They haven't matured. Uh, and so I want us to talk about that today, okay? Homework, what it means, what it does, discipleship, 
the, the God's instruction to us and mandate to us to grow and to not just stay where we are, but to continue to grow. Um, those who go to school, if you will, and what they're interested in is the diploma and not the education that goes with it, it shows. I have the blessing of being able to teach college kids occasionally. And when I do, after a couple of weeks, uh, the class, I would say, divides into two-thirds on one side and a third on the other. Two-thirds are there. They want to learn. They're eager to learn. They're willing to learn. They're willing to do the homework, et cetera, et cetera. On the other side, you've got about another third of the class. So say I have 30 students. 20 will be in that camp. 10 will be in another camp where you can kind of tell uh, that they either think that they're smarter than I am so they're not willing to learn because they think they're smarter than I am. Or they think the subject isn't interesting or worthwhile. Uh, so in my case, since I teach scripture classes, for the most part, that's ironic. Um, there are things in the Bible worth, worth hearing. And, and even if you're not a Christian and you're a student, you, in theory, should still be interested. It's the most influential piece of writing ever, uh, ever put down on paper. And nobody really, with, with, uh, even in literature, would argue with that. But as a Christian, if you're a Christian kid, why in the world would you not want to pay attention to the Bible? Uh, if you're a Christian, why would you not be interested in God's people? If you're a Christian, why would, you, why would you not be interested in growing? Okay, these are the questions the writer Hebrews is talking about, and he uses the illustration of a classroom. Okay? He's trying, by the time we get to chapter 5, he's trying to teach him these advanced things about Jesus, but he hits a lid. He can tell he's losing the class. They can't track with him anymore because even though they should be able to at this point, they can't hang at that level. They should be able to, but they can't. So he gets frustrated with them. He kind of views them as um, Benjamin Buttons spiritually. They, they kind of start off and they're getting more and more immature as time goes on rather than going the other way, which is what they're supposed to do. Uh, some college kids... Uh, are that way. It's all about the degree, and they don't really learn something. Christians sometimes are that way, too. There are people that, for instance, I've baptized into Christ, and sometimes they don't devote themselves to continuing to grow in Christ, even though they're supposed to continue to grow, even though we give them the tools to grow, even though we reach out to them, give them a community to grow in. They just don't do it for the same reason that college students often do it uh, as well. Sometimes it's that they think the subject is not worthwhile, that they basically, hey, I got the diploma, so it doesn't matter what I learned, uh, which means uh, salvation, for instance, if we're making a Christian analogy. Or on the other hand, it might be uh, that other things distract them, right? I got a weekend. Um, I've got important things to do at the beach, and so this is, gonna, this is not worth my time, or... Uh, my bed is calling because my life is out of balance the rest of the week. And so by the time I get to the weekend, what I need is rest. Well, it also means that your, the rest of your life needs some rhythm. And the way, one of the ways you find that rhythm is spiritually. And so instead of going to a place that would help them find that rhythm, they secede from it, trying to find a way to medicate the deficits that are in their life through other channels. Okay, so when Hebrews is written, they're undergoing massive persecution People are making fun of them uh, for being Christians. Their fellow Jews are looking at them saying, how in the world could you believe that that guy is who he said he was? And they're in undergoing persecution at the hands of the Romans as well. And so the writer of Hebrews comes to them with a, with a kind of a two-message sermon. And he says, hey, listen, first of all, endure. Don't quit. Number two, hang on to your faith in Jesus no matter what the cost. 
So uh, when we get to this passage, it's when he's gone on this kind of lengthy analogy. He uses a, a high priest named Melchizedek from uh, the, the Old Testament, and he's walking him through the whole chapter, maybe a chapter and a half, where he's walking them through, and it's kind of confusing even for Christians to read. It's like, what is he talking about? And then he goes, all right, you know what? I have a lot more I could talk to you guys about, but you're not able to understand. You should be, you know, taking trigonometry right now, but you're, you need to learn to add and subtract. You, 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 we should be able to talk Shakespeare, uh, but you, you need Dr. Seuss still. Um, you guys have really not grown at all, and so because you have become a group of relative spiritual thumb suckers, I can't help you anymore. Here's what he says, Hebrews 5:11 to 6:3. He says, "About this, that this is all that Jesus stuff he's trying to tell them. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness." since he's a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits. All right, let's take this a bite at a time here. The issue is they have become dull of hearing. So he's saying, don't stop listening. Christians, don't stop listening to what God has to tell you. Right? These aren't people who lack the intellectual capacity to understand. They had become that way. The message translates it this way. Since you've picked up this bad habit of not listening, the NIV says, because you no longer try to understand. The New Living Translation says, you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. So the issue here is not that, okay, they've hit their learning limit. They just can't comprehend it. It's that they have gotten into a habit of not paying attention to what, he's trying to, what God is telling them. They're not listening to what God tries to instruct them in. So when God, if God comes to them and says, hey, here's what you need to do, and they're like, yeah, 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 whatever, or they just don't listen at all. So right now, we just dropped our daughter off for the first time, our first child. We dropped her off at college, and, and uh, don't worry about us. We're doing fine <laughs> as parents, you know. <laughs> and we actually are doing great. She's doing great and everything like that, right? But we, we did have that experience. Now, I want you to imagine after all of the leading up to that moment, all the parenting, all the education, knowing the immense potential that parents think their kids have, sending her to a great college, where she's surrounded with support and world-class faculty and all this great stuff, that four years later, we go and pick her up, we go to her graduation, and we discover that ultimately she didn't learn anything. Now, she has a diploma, but she didn't actually know anything else. In fact, she seems to have gone backward. She seems to have forgotten the things she knew when she left. And attitude-wise, now that she has a diploma, she lacks the humility to know what to do with the knowledge that she has acquired. Okay, that's kind of the analogy that the Hebrew writer of Hebrews is giving. By now, you should be here, but you're not. You're here. 
what they're dealing with in Hebrews 5 isn't a matter of the intellect. It's not even really a matter of the attention span. It's a matter of attitude. Attitude. He isn't challenging how smart they are. He's pointing out how little they care. Our attitude, sisters and brothers, will predict our growth. It is the leading predictor of your growth, spiritually speaking. Our approach to everything, our approach to our faith is going to be determined by our attitude. Do I value this or do I not? Do I care? Is Jesus at the center or is he an accessory? Is this a hobby or is it the foundation of my life? That determines then your capacity to grow. Otherwise, like the college students I mentioned before in my own classes, you might come to the point where you think, okay, what God is teaching me is nice and all, but it really doesn't matter that much. Or you might even think that the subject itself is irrelevant. What a mistake that would be. Some people, again, they think, okay, well, uh, I'm smarter than he is, or I don't like the subject, or whatever. And those students will tend to try to dodge assignments, and or they won't do them. Or if they do them... Uh, they won't get anything out of them. So let me ask you this. If you're not committed to maturing or you haven't matured in recent years, why is that? And what might it say about who you think the teacher is, that being God or Jesus or the subject matter, Christianity itself? Because what he's trying to say is your your issues uh, to them, he's saying your issues have to do with the fact that you just have not uh, done, you know, you haven't thrown yourself into this. You become people who don't listen. Those of you who've had teenagers, you know. They can hear you and not listen. It works with adults too, by the way. God does it with us all the time. He tries to get our attention. Hey, if you will do this, it'll go well with you. Hey, if you'll just, if you'll put Jesus first in your house, you're going to notice a lot of good things happening in your life. And yet we push him to the outside. Ah, you become dull of hearing. Hey, if you'll put Jesus at the center of your marriage, your marriage will go better. And yet we don't. We put other things, job, vocational pursuits, whatever, out in front. Hey, if you'll put Jesus first, Teenagers, your life will go better. The friends you get will be better. They'll be a higher caliber of friend, and they'll be helping you out in your faith as opposed to pulling you down in your faith. Yeah, 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 that's great. You hear, but don't listen. All right, so homework is a vehicle that we use in school to deliver, to help people take what was taught and apply it. Now, a good teacher will, will create homework that actually means something. It actually does help a student grow. A bad teacher will give you homework that is like makes you earn your grade. It has no real value. It's just like, uh, you know, from an academic standpoint, it's like taking a person, locking them in a prison cell with a spoon and saying, if you can dig yourself out, you can be free. Um, that, 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 you know, if you, if you come over enough hurdles, you've earned your grade and then we'll, uh, you know, then I'll give you the grade and you can move on. That, that's bad teaching. Good teaching means I'm going to give you homework that I know, I hope you will find engaging, but even not, even if it doesn't engage you, if you do it, you will come out on the other side stronger, smarter, 
better developed uh, than you would have been otherwise. So if you take that, the teacher, and you believe that God wants what's best for you, and you believe that Jesus is actually wiser than you, then the question becomes, okay, why would we not listen to what he has to say and do what he says? Ask yourself, okay, what does my life, as I'm living it now, what does it say about my view of God? Does it say I believe he's smarter than me, or does it, does it demonstrate I think I'm smarter than he is? Does it demonstrate that I think that following Jesus is the most important thing in my life? Or does it demonstrate that I think Christianity is a great hobby for me to have? And if you're not pleased with that answer, then the good news is, like he kind of does in a backhanded way to Hebrews, the invitation is there to say, hey, let's get after it. Let's, let's go. Let's start over. Let's, let's start where you are and keep moving you forward. Who does your life say that God is? What does the way you live out your faith say about who you believe God to be? Do we believe that Jesus is wiser than we are? Do we believe that he wants what is best for us? Then, then why wouldn't we do what he says? Um, several years ago, um, many years ago actually, because it was before uh, we started NBC, there was a young lady, she came up to me between services and she goes, Pastor Tim, she goes, you, you, she goes, you speak Hebrew, right? I go, well, no, I said, it's a dead language. I don't know what he speaks it anymore. Not biblical Hebrew. This is, uh, I do read it. And she goes, great, well, check out the tattoo I'm going to get. She pulls a note card out, puts it out in front of me. And I look at the word. I don't understand what it means. She goes, she goes, it says Yahweh. Now, Yahweh is the divine name of God. It's given to Moses at the burning bush. You learn that on your first day of Hebrew. What she thinks says Yahweh does not say Yahweh. Okay, and, and I go, what, what is that? And, I, and she goes, it's Yahweh. And I go, that's not, that's not Yahweh. She goes, yes, it is. I go, no. That says like your mama or something. <laughs> that is not Yahweh, okay? So she goes, she goes, I looked it up, and this is what it said. And so I didn't know how to tell her that. So I said, hey, do you have a pen? I'll show you, what, what, how, you how you actually spell this. And so I wrote out Yahweh for her the actual way it's supposed to be pronounced. So she looks at it, and she looks at the card she has. And then she tells me that, well, I like this one better. And she was talking about the one she had given me. So she leaves, and as far as I know, has some weird word on her body that is not Yahweh. Okay, because she was not, it was like one of those things where if you're actually trying to do something, if you're trying to say through a tattoo, I want God first, shouldn't you try to spell his name right? right? I mean, God is first in my life. That's the divine name. It's a name that's given to people that's so holy. To this day, the Jews won't read it out loud. If they come across it in Hebrew, they will, call, they will say Adonai, even though Yahweh is the word that's there. And they do that because they don't of the fear of using it in vain, even if they're reading scripture. They write it with no vowels in there because they don't want somebody to accidentally say it in a wrong context. This is the holiest name there is. The one that is spoken of when it says, don't use the name of your Lord God in vain. And she went and wouldn't even, she didn't even care how it was spelled. All she wanted to do was have something cool. It gives the appearance 
of a very devout person. And so even when somebody says, look, the motive behind this is great, right? If, if that's what you're trying to do, let me help you. I like this one better. Okay. You have become dull of hearing. And now it's like a Snickers commercial where the guy, you know, paints chefs in the end zone. He leaves the eye out. <laughs> Who are the chefs? <laughs> and he's like, oh, great googly moogly or whatever. Somewhere there is a, a, a young lady running around uh, that has the wrong name of God, some, some weird expression on her body because she couldn't listen. Now, I'll tell you this. There are a lot of Christians who, I mean, look, weekend after weekend after small group after, you know, I, just whatever. I can sit there, I can read them this text, and they'll go, yeah, I like this better, though. I like that better. So what I'm going to stamp on my life, even though God asked me to do this, I'm going to do this because I like it better. Do you, see, do you see what he's saying? Homework is what gets you from God says this to I live accordingly. And the homework journey in between can be prayer, can be Bible study, can be, it's a commitment to doing what he says. In Matthew 7, he tells the story of two houses. One's built on rock, one's built on sand. Same weather hits it, one stands, one falls. And Jesus says that the difference is the one that stands strong, is the, that's the one who hears what Jesus says and does it. He hears it and he does it, all right? So that particular thing, if you want your, your house to stand, so to speak, you don't try to build the house in the middle of a storm. And unfortunately, a lot of people, that's what they do. They try to, to develop a relationship with God when tragedy hits them. And that's one of the things that, that, uh, that education does for you when you're growing in Christ is it prepares you for the pop quizzes of life. You know, pop quizzes are the bane of the existence of the student. Mostly because most of us are so thoroughly unprepared. Otherwise, fine, quiz me all you want. Yeah, but life doesn't work that way. You know, you don't get the ability to say, okay, three months from now, somebody I care dearly about is going to die. That's not how life works. Hey, you know what? Uh, you're going to have, you're going to lose your job next week. Okay, that's not how life works. And so the way that you're prepared for these things, again, is by hearing what Jesus says and doing it, not by trying to build a house in the middle of a storm. You build it in the right spot before the storm hits. Now, he says to them, uh, okay, you've become dull of hearing, and despite the fact that you should be teachers by now, you still need baby stuff. Okay, and maybe he's trying to do some reverse psychology here with them. It could be that he's saying, uh, you know, I mean, picture a midterm in school. And the class is bored, the class is disinterested, they don't want to do anything but sit around like a bunch of blobs or whatever. The class is checked out, and so the teacher says, hey, you know what, if you were a little more intelligent, I could teach you how to do this. And, and you know, and it kind of insults them to the point that they sit up in their chair and say, oh yeah, try. Maybe that's what he's doing. But it seems to me that in Hebrews 5.11 to 6.3 that we read earlier, he essentially puts dunce caps on the church. And he says to them, I could say a lot to you. I could teach you all sorts of things, but I can't because you won't listen. And so just like he's telling them, hey, 
This is who Jesus is. This is how you need to persevere. Don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but continue to encourage each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching, and all the things that you see. He'll point to Hebrews 11, he'll say, consider the lives of these heroes of the faith, and go and be like them. And it's like in one ear, out the other. And he says, I can't, I can't, there's no hope for you. You can't grow in that kind of an environment. You know, the kid that was 16 or whatever and still in your sixth grade class he's saying that's who you guys are to the church that he's talking to for though by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of god you need milk not solid food for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled at the word of righteousness since he is a child the assumption he's got and is passed on to us is that we're supposed to be growing. And so that homework, if you will, the stuff that goes from the sermon or the scripture, the encouragement that's given, and then the doing of those things is what helps us grow. If all you do is go to class and go home and there is no homework, your ability to learn is going to be stunted. But if you have something, it's like play, just playing games and never practicing. It's fun, but you're not going to get better. What makes you better is practice, not games. Games are the result of the practice. And so that's why most Christians that you will run into that are mature have habits that develop a certain kind of character in them. They're in the Word regularly. They pray regularly. They put themselves under the feet of good teachers. They, at the feet of good teachers, they surround themselves with other Christians trying to uh, go into the, uh, going in the same direction so that they don't become one of these kind of spiritual Peter Pans who can fly, but they, they, they never grow up. The church is a repository of knowledge of God, among other things. Gathered around you, sitting around you today, are some people who are brand new to the faith. And the charge to them is to continue to grow. Around you are some people who've been in the faith a very, very long time and walked with God a long time. They know the scriptures, they know the gospel, and the charge to them is to continue to grow. There's never a point at which God says, you are a finished product, it is now over. You have reached the top of the mountain. There is never, I mean, no matter how many times, uh, even this text, okay, I've read this text hundreds of times, literally. Every time, it hits me differently. And when the Bible says of itself that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword, it's not lying that the Word, no matter how many times you come back to it, depending on where you are in life, depending on how awake you are, how open your ears are, how soft your heart is, okay, it will speak to you in new ways. The same with the community around you. That person you thought was really weird or really shallow or really whatever turns out to be spiritual dynamite in your life. Those things that you thought, oh, overall, that was a pretty boring sermon or whatever, that's the one you actually remember three weeks later. You know, the, the good ones, you fly right over your head or whatever. You know what I was going to do today? And I decided not to because I'm, I'm compassionate. Uh, as a pastor, was to say, okay, let's talk about pop quizzes, take out a pen and paper, and write down what I talked about last week. How many of you could pass that quiz if I hadn't told you at the beginning, right? 
See, the pop quizzes of life are not about like, okay, what did he talk about last week? Pop quizzes of life are coming your way this week, whether you want them to or not. Now, and God gives us this great gift of being able to say, if you want to learn, I will teach you. If you want to grow, you've come to the right place in the church. If you want somebody to, to, to love you, if you want somebody to help you find a place of belonging, if you want to serve others, if you want to, then, then, then here it is. And then the question for us is, are we going to listen? Or are we going to be dull of hearing, as he says? In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 3, Paul is having a similar problem. Church of Corinth. He tells him, I can't address you as spiritual people. I have to address you as infants in Christ. And then he goes, even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. This is an issue with Christians uh, all throughout Christian history. We begin as babies, and we're meant to move on to solid food at some point. It's fine, the baby that just cried. If it's drinking a bottle later, that's normal. If some of you that are in your 70s are drinking a bottle later, that's weird, okay? You're not supposed to be. You go, at this point, you really should be eating something a little bit more advanced at this point. That's what he's trying to say. And so the antidote that he gives is homework, if you will, because practice makes mature. In chapter 5, verse 14, he says of Hebrews, he says, the solid food is for the mature who... Through constant practice, this phrase is used only here in the New Testament. Uh, you could translate it by habit, through by habit, or, or through constant practice. This is what you do all the time. Uh, that, that they sharpen their discernment of good and evil and live accordingly. Okay, so for some of us, a phrase like, you know, habit or constant practice sounds terrible. Now, some of you... It's, it's the subject matter. If I said, your habit of eating ice cream at night, well, yeah, you know, we have a habit we like. But again, if we think that God is good, we think God is just, that he's wiser than we are, and that he wants us to grow, then I don't resent anything that he asks me to do or anything he wants me to make a habit of. Anything he wants me to make a habit, I want to make a habit. Anything he tells me you need to stop doing that, habits I need to get rid of, then that's what I need to do. And there is a natural tension here, right? I mean, I would much rather play a game than practice for one. I'd much rather run a marathon than train for one, even though I'd rather not do either, frankly. Um, I'd much rather preach a sermon than prepare for one. However, like nearly everything in this world that is worthwhile, it takes practice to mature. Some people will say, oh, no, 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 God is... Uh, this is about grace and not works and blah, 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 blah. Okay, that's, that's how you end up immature. Dallas Willard put it right. He says, God is opposed to earning, not to effort. Right? So don't, don't think that grace is supposed to entitle you to, to uh, an indefinite period of being a spiritual thumb sucker. It's supposed to open up avenues that you can't get through the law. Experiencing Jesus in ways that you can't when you think it's really just about obeying a sequence of laws. But now we understand that the heart of God, it goes beyond the commandments. Commandments are given for our good. Jesus is brought to this world to, first of all, take care of the sin problem that we've got. But then he's also here to show us this is what life that's lived perfectly, the law lived out flawlessly and perfectly, what it actually looks like. 
It's not austere. It's not somber and miserable. It's vibrant. It's world-changing. He shows us, and then we're supposed to go follow in his steps. So grace is not something that's designed to lower the bar. It's actually quite the opposite. It raises the bar from beyond just the check, checking off the boxes to something far greater, a way of life, a way of heart, heart, mind, soul, strength, not just commandment obedience. See, I can occasionally follow the traffic code, right? Thoroughly uninspiring, not exactly life-changing. Um, if you end up in traffic school, uh, where the, the soul goes to die on a weekend, back when they did it live, <laughs> be trapped in the basement of Sears or something from 8 to 5 on a Saturday because you went 6 miles an hour over the speed limit or something and the, some cop busted you for it. And all they do is they show you the faces of death videos and then tell you uh, this is what you can't do. Take a quiz that shows us that you've learned this, blah, 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 blah. You go, you punch your ticket, and you go out. Now, that's a deal where the subject matter is not good and the attitude is terrible because you don't want to be there. The teacher stinks, and so does the subject. I'm not going to learn anything in traffic school I did not know before I walked in here. Now, that right there is how some people approach their faith. They think that, okay, I already know, heard that before, read that passage before, been here a thousand times. I'm here on Sunday morning when I'd rather be out at the beach. And so they come in, they go out, and they never get anything out of it. But does that mean that the teacher is bad or that the student is bad? I didn't mention this at the first service because I was running along, but I'll tell you guys, just between the oh, thousand people that will see this either live or online this week, just between us. First time I took Greek, I flunked it. You know why? Turns out, when you're trying to learn an ancient language, your presence in class is important. <laughs> I think I went to maybe a fourth of the classes, and those were like the ones where the tests were taken. And so I didn't learn anything. Well, to get a Master's of Divinity, when I went to graduate school, you had to, you had to go through Greek. I happened to stay at Pepperdine for that program. I had the same teacher, same class. This time, though, the difference was I was no longer a freshman. I was a grad student that was going into ministry. I was there. I cared. I had become a friend of the professor at that point. So I listened to what he said. 1,000 total points, second time through, I got 996 out of 1,000. Just four points. Yes, thank you very much, yeah. yeah. So what I'm saying is, what, so what was the difference? Same guy, same teacher, same school. So, so was it his fault that he wasn't interesting? Or was I just a terrible student? I think the answer is fairly obvious. That I was not there to learn. I, I didn't care. I didn't respect the professor. I didn't respect the process. I respected my social life. I respected my bed. I respected not being drugged to a Greek class 10 o'clock, four days a week. That's what I respected, not learning, right? 
So what I'm going to do to you this morning or ask of you this morning, I'm going to implore you. I'm going to beg you like he does. I'm not going to say, oh, you know, by now I ought to be able to do this or whatever. You're like, hey, I'm just going to ask you for the love of God, literally. Grow up. Let's grow up. And so much of that is going to have to do with your approach and my approach to growing. Do we care or do we not care? Do we think God knows what he's talking about or do we think we know what we're talking about? See, what this text does for me is it makes me ask this question. If God were to grade my life and my attitude and my walk with Jesus, what grade level would he say I should be at right now? How about you? Would he say by now you ought to be in fifth grade, um, but you're actually in ninth, you're way ahead of the class? Would he say by now you ought to be in junior high, but you're in second grade? You know, I, I want to be, I, what, I, what I would like to be able to do someday is stand before God and say, God, I did the best I could to allow you to have full, to surrender my life completely to the point that if I didn't reach a place in my spiritual walk, it wasn't because, um, because I wasn't surrendered or you couldn't take me there because I stopped listening to you. So as we get through, I mean, look, 1 Timothy 4, 7 kind of echoes the same point about practice and training and, and taking this kind of thing seriously. He says in 1 Timothy 4, 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. I mean, for some of us, it's if we took half the energy that we spent on other pursuits and we dedicated it to growing as a true follower of Christ, we might be amazed at how quickly it would change every aspect of our life, including the way we approached everything that we were doing before. So he'll spend the rest of the book of Hebrews trying to drip in these spiritual practices for them that allow them to continue to grow to maturity. Let's not give up meeting together. Look at the lives of these heroes of faith, you know, these different pieces. But God's desire for each of us is Christian maturity. If you go down just a few verses from the text we read uh, in Hebrews, Hebrews 6, 11 to 12 says this, we want each of you to show the same diligence, this same diligence to the very end. So it's not a one-week gig. This is a lifetime gig. Until the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So what is it that drives you? What's your life actually about? Because we tend to practice what we value, and what we practice, we get better at. So again, we go back to the attitude. You do habitually, usually what you either think is important or what you enjoy doing. And so when spiritual habits become difficult, it usually means one of those two things is out of whack. You either don't see the value, or you're not enjoying it very much. Now, there are going to be times where the different things that go with becoming a, a fully devoted follower of Jesus are not enjoyable. There are some things that are very hard sometimes, serving others, forgiving your enemies, things like that that can really stunt your growth 
in Christ are not particularly good. But what you do eventually is when you push through that little, that little barrier, all of a sudden you, you, you go, hey, that was actually really standing between me and my next level with God. And now that I've kind of moved past that, I've forgiven that person and turned it over to God, now I can move forward. And so you see the open sky in front of you, like a, like a running back who's running through the line, and there's no holes there. And then you go in, and you, there's impact there at the line, and then all of a sudden, whoo, open field. You're like, oh, look at this. So here's, here's a, um, um, something to consider, sisters and brothers. Your maturity and mine impacts the world around us, our homes, our church, our community, our country, they're all impacted by our spiritual maturity. There was a woman by the name of Amanda Bresendine. She accomplished a feat that's rare, but has been done before. She gave birth without knowing she was pregnant. Now, I, my wife gave birth to three children. Uh, and every time, uh, we were thrilled to know that she was pregnant, and then she adjusted her lifestyle because she knew that inside of her was, was someone that she needed to care for. Sleep matters. Diet matters. Um, you know, and a lot, of, a lot of would-be moms, you know, they couldn't break the smoking habit until they got pregnant. That helps them break the habit because they know somebody's depending on me. We often, I think, view our spiritual lives in highly individualistic terms not realizing, for instance, parents, your spiritual maturity directly impacts the lives of your kids. And my, my kids, I hope, will grow up to be far smarter than I am. But if they surpass me spiritually, I can only be happy about that if they didn't pass me because I stopped growing. You know what I'm saying? So if my, if my daughters go on to surpass me spiritually, if I'm doing, if I'm growing in Christ the best I can and they pass me, you know what? Awesome. But if I just stop growing or I start getting more or less, I go into Benjamin Button mode and I'm getting more and more immature as time goes on, uh, then shame on me. I don't want my kids to pass me because dad stopped growing or dad stopped paying attention to what God was trying to do in, in his life. It's okay to have your kids become smarter than you or more even more spiritual than you, as long as you're setting the pace, you're leading the way. Your spouse is directly impacted by your level of spiritual maturity and the direction of your spiritual walk. The church that you're sitting in now, if you're a part of it, is directly impacted by your level of growth or lack, of, or lack thereof. The community that you live in is directly impacted by the level of spiritual maturity. Your country is impacted directly by your spiritual maturity. We are inherently attached to others. And the way that we live, and the way that we serve, and the way that we grow is important. And that's one of the reasons why God gave us the church. We are a repository, uh, a practice complex, if you will. Ephesians 4, 11 to 6, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. By the way, that's a high spot, right? The stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. God wants us to grow. I mean, can you imagine if every person in this room, everybody at the early service and everybody that's somewhere else today, they'll be back with us next week or whatever, if everybody actually had a growth trajectory at the same time, what a force for good we could be in this world, what an encouragement we could be to one another. I mean, it's breathtaking, actually, if you just have an imagination about it. You go, yeah, what if everybody started growing together at the same time? What an amazing thing it would be to see. So I have a homework assignment for you. Ready? There it goes. Your homework is to figure out what your homework is. All right? You may know already. You may already know. You know what? I need to become more regular in my habits. I need to show up for church more than annually. You're treating this like I treated Greek the first time I took it. Um, it could be that, you know what, I've never really been willing to be vulnerable in, in a community of Christians before. What I need to do this time is I need to connect with others and let my life and theirs rub against each other so we can sharpen each other. Uh, maybe it's I need to get into the word a little bit more, a little bit better, a little more consistently. Maybe it's I need to pray more often, not a dinner prayer before the meal that I don't even mean because I'm starving. I mean, a, a real prayer, one, one that, that acknowledges that God uh, has, has, is in heaven and that I am his follower and, and really communing with God in prayer. Okay? Your homework is to figure out your homework and then to do it knowing that God, the great principle here in old school, okay, that he is wiser than we are, that he is better than we are, he's more good than we are, and that he wants what's for our good. And so it's not just knowing, it's not hearing it, it's listening to it and going and doing what he says. So that's the homework assignment for the week. Figure out your homework, all right? Um, we're going to gather around the Lord's table now. Uh, next week, it happens to be Labor Day weekend. We're going to be doing recess next week. Uh, so come back. We're going to have some, some fun with that one. And I hope you'll join us. But right now, as we gather around the table, you should have gotten a bag with uh, uh, some bread and uh, a cup of juice on the inside. If you didn't and you'd like one, just put your hand in the air. We have some ushers coming down, and they'll be happy to give you some, okay? Uh, this represents the body and blood of Jesus. We do it every week here at New Vintage. It's a time for us to reflect on what, what the Bible has had to teach us today. Uh, anything that we want to be thankful for, things we want to tweak or change or um, put in place in our lives. And as we do, we always remember Jesus, his death on the cross for us and how that sets the table for everything else. So this time I'd like to offer a word of prayer um, for us as we gather around the table. Heavenly Father, with bread and cup right now, we say yes to growing. We say yes to wanting to be more mature in the faith. And so, Father, for any lost time uh, that we've had, Father, we, uh, we put that behind us and we ask you to help us catch up. Father, we want 
to have everything that this life has to offer as a follower of Jesus. We don't want to cap what you can do in our lives through our own unwillingness to listen, our own arrogance, or our own just thinking we know better or being pulled away by other pursuits. Father, right now we, we say yes to you. We say yes to growing in the name of Jesus. We pray.